Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to the Exchange Podcast. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. I've got you all to myself tonight. Yeah, no, Nathan, although you'll hear him later. Uh, so, Nathan is recording a preview of the Manchester City game with Nico, who's been on the podcast before. He's one of Nathan's friends. He's very knowledgeable, knows his stuff, and he's a big City fan. So, um, you've got that to look forward to. Um, but first, you've got us two idiots. And, well, f- let's just see what we know about City. So, did you catch their first game of the season against West Ham, Barty? Yeah, I, I did. It, you know, it's a strange one watching Man City. This, they haven't really evolved or changed. They just, they just remain really good. Like, um, there's been a few, few things that are different, but on the whole, it's still the same nucleus of the team. It's the same system. It's everything else. And, uh, yeah, they, they're still a very good team. And you just mentioned to me just now uh, the re-emergence of Kyle Walker, who, who obviously got an assist, but it, it wasn't just the assist. He was making those runs almost constantly, um, particularly in the first half, I thought. He made some really penetrative runs and showed his pace that used to be a regular thing at, at Spurs. Oh, yeah. I mean, he taught Aaron Cresswell, who who once upon a time was touted as a, was a well-respected and like a prospect fullback. He absolutely tore him to pieces. And it, yeah, he's just his energy and his speed. It seems to have recovered that kind of um, the Spurs speed that we used to associate him with. And he was playing very much in a kind of an old-fashioned fullback role. And he he looked great. So perhaps that you said there was no um, evolution for City, but perhaps that is something that they'll do more this year. Perhaps they'll go back to the kind of the old fullback style, whereas as we know last season, fullbacks would typically tuck in the City and and thicken up the midfield area. Maybe now they've got Rodri, who's a bit younger. Um, maybe they think he can patrol that midfield area by himself. I guess that remains to be seen. But the the main thing to note with City at the moment is. Aguero didn't play against West Ham. Um, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because on one hand, you know, maybe he's not fit and firing. On the other hand, maybe he's going to be totally fresh and desperate to get back in the team and retain his place. So it's hard to know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or not. Um, and the other thing to note, I suppose, is that Bernardo Silva didn't play against, um, 
West Ham either. I, I thought he was arguably their best player aside from Sterling last season. He was absolutely exceptional. Um, and he's he does he's a player that scares me a bit. Uh, he kind of he causes problems at, in numerous games last year. Um, what do you, what do you make of City's main attacking players? That, you know, Silver Sterling. Who who scares you the most? Yeah, I mean it's the it's the same crowd. Sterling is 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 another one of those. Um, he's just he's just unbelievable in front of goal. He's his positioning more than anything else. He always knows exactly where to be. Um, I thought um, Mares looked interesting as well because he hasn't really settled at City, but he he looked dangerous. And yeah, Bernardo Silva is a fantastic player, and he'll. I've got a funny feeling he'll be back. I'm not sure why Aguero didn't start because he had the same kind of um, summer as Jesus. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. It's just it's Guardiola just shuffling his pack, just testing players out. Mahrez is such an interesting one because he has he hasn't played a great deal at City, but whenever he does play, he seems to score. He seems to do something, and um, that's a really impressive trait to have in a squad player who can just slip in and, and hit the ground running each time. And he's still so he's almost like unparalleled in his in his in the way that he isolates a defender and beats him. He makes it look so easy. He's he's a real talent, and obviously he would get in at pretty much every other club, but. At City, he has to really wait for his chances and almost plays like a rotation. But, you know, at Spurs, we'd, we'd love someone like Mahrez. He's a great player. Um, so one of the things that scares me is uh, Raheem Sterling potentially playing on the left up against Kyle Walker-Peters. We saw what he did to Trippier. Uh, it was it was the game that... Well, it was it was the VAR game. Uh, where Sterling let, essentially was involved in three early goals by mm-hmm. tearing Trippier to shreds. Do you fear for Walker Peters? Um, no, not really. I, I feared. I think that Man City, the the second leg game. I think it was more to do with our midfield was was really lightweight that that evening, and they kind of De Bruyne had the run of the park. It was Wanyama and I think Sissoko for a small bit, but mm. yeah, we didn't we didn't have any kind of control. I think now with if we play the two of um, Ndombele and alongside Winks or Sissoko, I think we'll have a little bit more stability there. Um, Carl Walker, you know, it's a big test for him. But Foyf stood stood up well to Sterling, so you can marshal Sterling quite well. The um, the interesting thing is you've got Zinchenko on the who's on this incredible winning streak at the moment. So yeah, it'd be quite nice. It'd be quite nice to end that to get rid of it. Absolutely, and I suppose one thing we can say about Walker Peters is City aren't going to be angling lots of high balls his way because you know Sterling's even shorter than he is, so he he won't be losing area duels. So that's that's something. Um, yeah, I wish him all the best because the last thing he needs right now is a horror show against a player as good as Raheem Sterling. So fingers crossed that won't happen and we can actually pose a threat of our own. I think, you know, we've got attacking players that can trouble them even without Son. Um, do you do you feel like City's defence can be got at still? Yeah, I think so. But they the way they protect their defence is amazing. Pellegrini was complaining about it at the weekend. Their um, tactical fouling has got even even worse. I mean, you wouldn't call it... It's not worse as in the sense that it's vicious or uh, dangerous. But they... Rodri especially, he was just pulling people <laughs> down like in, in the opposition half. So miles away from his own goal. And it, eventually a, a referee is going to have to um, stand up to this because Rodri's committing tiny fouls which on their own are never worth... Not not worth a yellow card, but if you start accumulate, if you start counting them up, the referee start, needs to start booking. And I think if he does that, then we can get at the defence because they won't be able to break that first wave of the counter. Absolutely, and as we know, uh, we they play John Stones at the back. I'm a massive fan of John Stones, but there's no doubt he takes some risks. 
and uh, let's hope that he takes one of those risks against Spurs and particularly against Harry Kane, who looked in absolute fine fettle for us in the first game. I think um, John Stones, it was Lucas that got after John Stones in the Champions League and it was from Lucas into, um, or was it Laporte anyway, one of them. That I think it would be Lucas that will be tasked with um, closing them down. And um, in the game that we lost 1-0 to them after the Champions League match, we had a lot of joy with um, quick balls over the top to, to, uh, to either Lucas or Son that day. So, you know, it's a, it's a big test for us. I've got, I've got a funny feeling that we might be able to do something. Oh, I, I would absolutely love that to be the case. Let's hand over to Nathan and Nico and find out what they think of the game. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Oi, oi, it's your boy. And I'm joined by my boy, uh, Manchester City fan, uh, respected writer of multiple topics, including <laughs> football and uh, famed goals disliker, Nico Morales. Nico, how you doing, dude? I'm doing okay. That's that's quite the intro. I appreciate that. So, Nico, um, tell us a little about the signings that City have made over this summer. Uh, well, I think probably the biggest one is the central midfielder or central defensive midfielder, if you want to call him that, Rodri. Um, that's probably the one that everybody's a little bit more focused on just because he's he plays such an important position and there's been a lot of writing, whether it be from myself or other writers about how important that position is, not just to Guardiola, but just to Manchester City in general and their success over the past couple of seasons. I think um, Cancelo is a great signing and he's obviously a great player and he's really talented. But in terms of what he'll do tactically, I don't think it comes anywhere close to how just how much the position that Rodri will be filling in for and playing and has been playing um, is to, you know, Guardiola and Manchester City's success. Yeah, Cancelo definitely confused me a little. He seems like quite a sort of an A-grade signing for a place where you're already fairly strong. Do you think that that you could see Walker getting edged out of the team? I think the idea with Walker is that as he gets older, the idea is to maybe play him more as a central defender. I think... Um, when you guys had me on the, the, the extra inch last year, um, we talked a little bit about the piece I wrote for Fansided where I spoke about just how important Kyle Walker is to Manchester City and why he is. And it basically boiled down to he allows the, the formation to evolve without actually making any substitutions. They can change shape pretty drastically because of his positional versatility. And that's such a strong thing. Um, I would say this past season, that was probably where it was at its strongest because he is a, a, a willing 
capable and very able um, sort of flank dominant uh, right back. But he's also, as we saw for England in the World Cup and obviously Manchester City, a very willing and able and capable central defender, especially within within a three. I don't necessarily trust his abilities um, within a two, which really hasn't come into question. Um, but within a three, he's a he's a very proficient player. So I think the idea is just to have, you know, because we saw it within the Guardiola era, there was that summer where they offloaded like four or five players that were simply too old. And I think City Football Group just in general Guardiola or not, don't want to be in a similar position where they're paying, you know, hand over foot because they've mismanaged the age of the squad in such a significant way. So getting a player that, like you said, is a, is a, is an A plus buy now for the future, essentially, even though he'll find his way into the team now, um, is just, I think, a, a bit of squad management as well as, you know, to deal with walkers getting a, a bit on in age. We want to rotate him a bit. He's so important to the team, all these things. So I think it has a little bit of everything in terms of why was he bought at this point in time. Do you think that Rodri counts as an upgrade on Fernandinho or just a younger model? Um, that's a, I think it's an interesting question because, you know, I've been in the midst of writing something for a number of weeks now about him. I think... Fernandinho is excellent because of his sort of meta ability in the sense that he fits the Premier League, you know, and, and the thing that maybe you'll never see, but is certainly within the Google Doc that I'm writing. Um, the the players that have occupied that position in Guardiola's iterations uh, at Barcelona and Bayern Munich, they've almost sort of had hints of the tactical environment around them, right? So when Barcelona's style was mainlined into La Liga, Busquets had the the pauses and the 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 cultured passing and the thinking behind how this how the ball is distributed along with other players that he grew up with. When it, he was at Bayern Munich, it was Xabi Alonso, and he had a little bit of the you know he he has that long ball ability and it's super transitional and it it fit a very press heavy Bundesliga. And with Fernandinho, we all know the Premier League is is a lot more physical. The the players talk about it, the coaches talk about it. So I think in that sense, Fernandinho has been very adept at you know the the infamous tactical fouling and and this idea mm-hmm. of physicality within the league. So I think in that sense, there's really no better player in that position that excels with those with that skill set. To my estimation. I think there's a level of there's a level of that where Rodri is echoing that and he's simply younger because he is a very physical player. But I also do think as I sort of mentioned in the piece, City were in for for Jorginho and it was a it was a tacked on thing. It seemed like it was it was a for sure thing and I think what it, that's almost a complete departure from Fernandinho. So you kind of scratch your head and say, well, if that's if they want the physicality, if that has if that has been the thing that has made the position so good in the Premier League, then why would they want a departure from that? And I think that's where Rodri has a little bit of both because I think there's sort of a quote unquote meta value that Rodri can have and Jorginho can have in the sense that they understand where possession needs to go so that they distribute it there and it's less likely for possession to be misused or lost in an area where it might be pressed. Whereas, you know, a lesser player or a player that doesn't think about those things as much will distribute the ball adequately from a technical perspective, but won't have that understanding of the system, won't have that understanding of the momentum and flow of the game that a Rodri or I think a Jorginho is probably the best in the world at that, um, what those players might have. The first question that we asked you last time you came on was, do you think City can be even better than last season? I'd like to ask you that same question again. 
It's 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 a difficult question because you know you asked me that and I don't even remember what my answer was, but they were two points lesser this season. They were basically the same in terms of underlying numbers. It's difficult to imagine such consistency. I do believe in this team more than any other, just because I think tactically, from like a sort of football physics perspective, none of what they're really doing is like a gimmick, right? And you and I have this, have discussed this a, n- a number of times. Like Antonio Conte's success in the Premier League was very much based off of he saw a universal tactical trend that he could exploit by introducing a you know the the shifting wing backs and the transitional play and all these things. When people caught wind of that, he didn't really have an ability to transition his team past that because it was sort of like a this is a hot trend at the moment but it won't be in a year. Whereas Guardiola has played his teams very similarly over the course of his entire career. There are tactical adjustments for the league and for the players and for the circumstances. But generally speaking, the physics of it, the general system is very similar to its past iterations and just kind of continues to elaborate upon those things. So in terms of, I look at that question and I say, there's only one place to go and that's down. City had a hundred point season now two seasons ago, and it's very difficult to imagine that they continue that kind of success simply because football's a war of attrition. Players get tired, coaches get tired of each other, relationships start to sour, people want more money. There's a there's an element of successful teams that almost relies on players and circumstances that lie on the very edges, right? I think if you look at the Bayern Munich team that won the treble a couple of years ago, they had very they had a very good um, you know, starting eleven, and then they had players on the fringes that were okay because of the circumstances at the time with being on the fringes. But their fringe contributions made that team what it was. A year later, those circumstances are different because they feel like they have justified a greater place in the team. Those relationships start to sour again and, and go in different directions because of because of the passage of time. And so the same thing happens with any team. So I guess in a roundabout way to answer your question, do I think City can get better? I think it's an accomplishment enough to just stay the same. You know, they're, they've historically been one of the best Premier League teams of all time. If they can continue to push out the kind of attacking and defensive performances that they have over the past two seasons, there's no doubt in my mind that they'll win the league. You know, how close Liverpool ran it last season, as much as I give them credit for, was a massive overperformance in terms of a points total. Maybe not massive, but large overperformance. So if they continue doing what they've been doing, I think they'll be fine. And that's kind of the real question. So you talked about there about like the, the breakdown of relationships over time and everything. Famously, Guardiola, when he left Barcelona, he said that like uh, that he can no longer motivate the team once you continually win everything you know there are no more worlds left to conquer thing um do, do you think that that is possibly true of City and if if not do you think that City's lack of success in the Champions League is, is potentially a sort of a uh, a weird positive there in what sense it were in the the motivation to continue to sort of like fight and still to... to exist yeah exactly and right. incidentally in the meantime you're dominating the league year after year Yes and no. I think, again, John wrote that great piece about Guardiola and, and he used that quote about, you know, no worlds left to conquer and all this, this, that and the other. And it, it is, there is an element of that, I think, at Manchester City where there is something left. But at the same time, they're not going to change their style of football, right? So we talked about this on, on, on a podcast a while ago and we said that I, I think you can say the same thing about a lot of teams in, in the sense that as great as, as Klopp has been and, and is and it is so much of an accomplishment 
what he's done with Borussia Dortmund and now what he's done with Liverpool actually winning it. Um, his style of football is the best, I think, to win a cup competition because it's so sure. transition heavy yeah. and it's so adaptive to different to different kinds of teams. But at the same time, if a Guardiola team hits the right draws and gets the right teams at the right stages, there's nothing there's nothing to suggest that they couldn't win the Champions League as well. It's just kind of a randomness thing, and we know how reliant the Champions League and Champions League success is on that kind of randomness. So. While I think there is a material obsession from the City Football Group and maybe from the players and maybe even Guardiola to simply achieve that from a maybe academic or ideological point of view, I think he can leave City now or maybe at the end of this year and say, it just wasn't us. You know what I mean? I think there's an element of you just chuck it up to the to, to a different day and say, you know, that that it isn't you did your best, you tried your best. It's not like he's gonna go Mourinho or he's gonna go Klopp and completely alter the tactics of the team to 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 win one trophy that's extremely random. He can't even do that. You know, he doesn't really know a different way to play. So I think in that sense, yes, there's a material concern, especially from his employers to win that trophy. But from an ideological perspective, you know, he, he's talked about it in um, press conferences where he says, you know, I have I have won games that I didn't think I should win. And I have lost games that I definitely thought I should win. And that's kind of what football is. It's, it's very random. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I tweeted out a thread today. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, talking about how uh, I, I feel like Pochino sort of has an ace up his sleeve for a, for a couple of years at least. Uh, with regards and how to approach City and I feel like he sort of spent that last year in the Champions League quarterfinals which obviously worked out very well for Spurs uh, at the time but but I think now that Guardiola has has seen Pochino's best possible method for handling games against City which is this sort of which is in your mind which is which is a medium block with a focus on turnovers in central midfield and at fullback and right. attacking the space in behind the left back, um, right. regardless of who that is. Um, I think that now, now that that card has been shown, that, that Guardiola has, a, has an upper hand. First off, do you, do you agree with that idea? Yeah, I definitely agree that that is the best way to go about controlling City is to force them into those pressing traps in midfield and go forth from there. Okay, and 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 do you think that having seen the specific ways that Pochino and his team go about achieving those things, do you think that Guardiola will be able to ra- uh, react and adapt to that situation? Yes and no. Um, I think if if that were the case, if the logic that you're presenting was 100% true, he would have already adapted because as we know, Liverpool used that. You know, you wrote about it in your article for Fansided, which was very good, um, that, you know, the, the team that holds the tactical key to destroying Manchester City is Liverpool because they have that tactical blueprint out there. It's just whether you're able to do it. And obviously Spurs showed an ability, a, a unique ability to be able to do that. Um, the, the, the thing is, the reason I also say yes is because now with adding Cancelo, with adding Rodri, with adding, you know, Gabriel sure, Jesus yeah. is, is playing more. He could, in theory, and maybe Mendy being more fit and, you know, the center back situation being so plentiful as it is. Um, he could, in theory, employ a, a different shape, a wider shape, one that exposes that kind of, um, dependence on central midfield traps a little bit more if he's going to be put in those situations. He hasn't in the past or he has tried and it hasn't necessarily worked because of another reason or another tactical gimmick that a, another coach has employed. But 
um, I think there's always an ability to, to sort of, for those two, Guardiola and Poch or Guardiola and Klopp or the three of them, um, to go back and forth in, in terms of a tactical chess match. And that's what makes it so interesting. So I think, you know, Poch has shown immense ability to implement that very difficult strategy with a lesser group of players. He obviously has Giovanni Lo now and Ndombele, which is only going to make things easier for him. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll, when they do play each other and, and if it does happen to be, uh, in, in a knockout competition once again, it'll be an extremely interesting thing to watch. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned sort of the, uh, the embarrassment of riches, specifically at center back there. Do you have any thoughts on, on how you think that will be handled this season? In terms of the center back specifically? Yeah. Um, I think John and I were talking about the other day in the DM and you were kind of witness, um, to it, but I, I suggested that I thought, you know, Nicholas Otamendi would have minutes that were comparable to the other central defenders on the, on the roster. And I wasn't necessarily wrong. He had over a thousand minutes, um, just in the Premier League alone and probably had more minutes in the Champions League and the League Cups and whatever. Um, but I think that will continue. That's what we saw at Bayern Munich. That's where we saw the issues with players like Schweinsteiger and all these guys. Like the, I think the capitalistic mentality of agents, players, and the game in and of itself is sort of inextricably opposed to a rotational squad. But the calculus and the format of modern football is requires and almost demands for a, a, a rotation like team because a team like Manchester City is competing what in four or five different competitions, you know? So there needs to be a level rotation. There needs to be, there, there can't really be a, a consistent 11. And I think it's funny to kind of see how it goes up against the traditional commentary values that you hear from, you know, the, the Wilkins and the old Arsenal boys on, on the commentary. Um, because we, we, I think as a footballing public have such a, such a attachment invested into the best 11 and you put your best 11 out there in the Premier League every weekend. And, you know, to, to, to say that about Manchester City, that might always be true because they have so many good players, but it will and should be extremely rotational as the season goes on because of the nature of how they're looking to compete. That being said, I think there's an element of specifically with the center backs and how important central defenders are, not only for Manchester City, but in the game as a whole today. John Stones offers something different from Nicolas Otamendi in terms of how they progress the ball. Imeric Laporte offers something else. You know, you you have a such a variety in how different players play and with positions that were not as important before becoming more important now, it's almost like you have a playmaker at central defender. That's how important they are in progressing the ball. So I think there's an element of that as well. You know, you saw John Stones in specific games against Liverpool because he has an understanding of where the ball should move and why. Um, and you saw Nicolas Otamendi against maybe different people because he has a specific progression style that worked better against maybe an Everton or, you know, Wolves or whoever. So it, it's, it's interesting to see how it pans out, but I think my bet is for it to be more transitional this season or more rotational. I definitely think that's very interesting. And there's certainly like a, um, a, a perhaps increasingly old fashioned belief amongst the, uh, punditocracy that, that you should have a, a center back partnership that should be your, your go-to partnership and the strength of their defending is based on the relationship that these two men have in right. the football context and I think that 
as we move into this more proactive era of football, centre-backs can be married rather than to one another, but to their role within a system. And so they're less reliant on on knowing the trends and habits of their centre-back partner. And so as a result, you don't need to be rolling out the exact same two blokes every week. And then if one of them is injured or suspended, everything falls apart. And, and certainly that's definitely relevant to Pochettino and this very current situation in which Vertonghen missed out not only in the starting living, but on the in the entire squads last weekend. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that there there's occasions where you want Davidson Sanchez for his particular skills, for his incredible recovery pace. Although that didn't work out for Villas goal, but never mind. <laughs> you get the general idea. Um, right, yeah. But then if Vertonghen is missing out this weekend, I will certainly be worried about that. Um, Nico, right. thank you very much for coming on. Um, you mentioned you may well have some pieces, City-relevant pieces coming out in the near future. I'm looking forward to those. I'll definitely be reading and sharing those. Um, anything else left to add or plug before you go? I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.